Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. It's all presented by Coors Light, Mountain Cold Refreshment Made to Chill. He is Paul Dottino. I am John Schmelk. 201-939-4513. That's the phone number for you to get in touch with us. And Paul and I will keep an eye on hashtag Giants Chat as well. Make sure you get those questions. We'll get to them on the air as we talk Giants football. And you had Lance and Jeff yesterday. They talked a little bit about the Super Bowl. So it's going to be our last football game for about six months. So we're going to talk <laughs> about it a little bit too just because, well, it's a game and it's important and we're going to discuss it a little bit. But, of course, we'll take your calls on anything Giants and we'll try to reflect some of the lessons from the Super Bowl on the New York football Giants as well. And, Paul, I'm, I'm going to keep this fairly simple and I'm, I'm pretty sure you're going to disagree with me. To me... This game just shows how important it is to have a quarterback that plays well. I thought for three and a half quarters, Patrick Mahomes was bad. I thought he was inaccurate. I don't think he made good decisions. He turned it over twice. He played one of the worst games I've ever seen him play for three quarters and change. It was one of his bottom five statistically, I think, right? And, Isn't that what they said? And there were certainly plays where the Niners got some pressure. But there were plenty of plays where he had a clean pocket or three steps where there was no one in his face and he was just thrown low or high or was just simply off. And I thought he made some bad decisions on, on run pass options. He just scrambled into rusher sometimes for, for no reason. And then in the final seven minutes, that pass to Tyreek Hill on the third and 15 changed the whole tenor of the game. And he played well for the final seven minutes, and the 49ers didn't have an answer for him. They made three big plays. You had the deep pass to Hill, the deep pass to Watkins. Then you had the defensive pass interference on Travis Kelsey in the end zone. And the Niners simply couldn't answer. So, to me, this relates back to the quarterback. When he played well, the Chiefs were great. When he didn't play well, the Chiefs had trouble scoring. And to me, that's what the game was mostly about. You're right. I disagree with you. I don't think I don't think Mahomes played very well. In fact, I thought the Niners gave the game more to the Chiefs than the Chiefs wanted. Mahomes should not have been the MVP. Should have been, uh, well, been Williams. I I happen to agree with that too. Okay. Um, my thought on the uh, on the particular plays you mentioned on Mahomes, um, on the, uh, the 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 long third and long play on the long bomb down the left side to Hill. It wasn't even that great of a pass. Hill. First of all, it's not a great pass. No, it wasn't. You're right. Okay. Um, if if he's leading him. He's gone, but um, you know Hill had to hold up for it, and the only reason that even happened was because the safety turned the wrong way and busted it. Well, I mean that's uh, because he was afraid of Tyreek Hill's four-four speed. Well, I understand across that. His face. I understand that, right. but you know there was literally half of an open field to throw that to. Uh, you know, okay, Mahomes threw it, but. I didn't. I don't give him a whole ton, a ton of credit for it. Okay, I think that's fair. I think my larger point is that big plays in the passing game is eventually what made the difference here for the Chiefs. Well, to some degree, yes. Uh, the the defensive pass interference when Kelsey got run into was a, again a boneheaded play by the Niners' defensive back. Uh, that's just bad, bad football. Uh, a gift which gave them like a thirty-yard gain, I think, on pass interference. Now again, that's Kel Kel not. That's not a Mahomes pass. That's a pass interference where the DB just did something stupid. Right. Well, but Kelsey did beat him one-on-one, -on -one, which forced a defensive pass interference penalty. I get it. Right. But if the DB plays the ball correctly, it's an interception because it's underthrown. Well, correct. No, I agree with it. That's fair. So I can't give Mahomes credit for that one either. Right. So maybe... And then Kelsey runs runs a simple right out, a, a little, you know, almost like a flat route in the end zone, and two, two Niners... 
two Niners. There's a safety and a linebacker, and neither guy covers him. It's like what the Giants did to Zach Ertz in Philadelphia, where they said, you know what? We're not going to bother covering this guy. Go ahead, throw it to him. No, that's true. I don't argue, I don't argue with that. How? And I agree. So No, I, I think that's fair. I think maybe I should have phrased my point differently. I don't think Mahomes was great in the final seven minutes either, but in the end... When you have a big play dynamic offense, it's very difficult to keep down for a full 60-minute games because all it takes is one or two mistakes, like the sure. type you're talking about, sure. for an offense like the Chiefs. I mean, the amazing thing, like Mahomes, like we said, he didn't play a good game, right? He didn't play a good game. No, he did not. They still scored 31 points. They did. And that's why, um, you know, for me, for me... I thought it was San Francisco's defense playing uncharacteristically careless football, especially in the fourth quarter. Uh, they had a number of missed tackles where plays they should have finished and would have finished all year long, but suddenly were letting guys out of their grasp. They had a number of almost sacks, which inexplicably they allowed Mahomes to get away from. Now, I think you have to give Mahomes some credit for I a couple give of those scrambles, too. A couple of them, sure, right. but not all of them. No, that's fair. That's you fair. know, that's fair. So I saw a ton of missed tackles. You know, hello, Carl Banks, wherever you are. I know you love it. <laughs> ton of missed tackles by the Niners D in the fourth quarter. Um, I saw some terrible play selection by San Francisco. They get to this game by becoming an old school power football team. And then they decide not to do anything with the final minute and a half of the, of the first half which we all know John Lynch in the press box. We've all seen the video. He wanted them to call timeout and try to do something with it, and they didn't. So they wasted that scoring opportunity. And then later on, they decide that, okay, Kansas City's done a solid job against the run, but you know what? Rather than pound them and try to continue wearing them down, and what do they always tell you? Keep chopping the rock, chopping the rock, chopping the wood. You're going to probably break through. Instead, they abandon it. And they no, wind they up going. They, more. they didn't abandon the run. Well, what, uh, Brandon? I just asked you earlier. You get, what was the final run rush total in the fourth quarter? Five. Five. Yeah, was it many, five? How many times did they throw it? How many plays? Now did they have? I think it was eleven passes and five runs. It was the graphic I saw on NFL Network. I will bring up the play by play and take a look. And and I thought they did a terrible job of play selection. And I think you know this goes back to again a head coach who's calling his own plays, which on occasion is going to prompt the possibility of brain lock. I think Shanahan did a terrible job. He did the same thing when he was calling plays for the Falcons. He wasn't a head coach at the time, but he did the same thing when he screwed up play selection and allowed the Patriots to get back well, into that game. All right, well, here we go. I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to give you the sequences, but I'm going to, the same way you fought me, Holmes, I'm going to fight you a little bit on this one. That's all right. Um, I agree with the mistakes on defense, by the way, but I, I don't have as big of a problem with Shanahan. Now, I'll get to the first half thing first. I agree. I think you're playing, and you know me, I'm always going to err on the side of being a little bit more aggressive. You're playing a team like the Chiefs, who, like the point I just made before, right? Mm -hmm. High-paced offense, it's hard to keep them down. You figure they're going to get their points eventually. So you have to maximize the amount of times you're going to score. So, yes, I would have been a little bit more aggressive there. I'm the Niners trying to score in that spot. Well, there's a have. better reason than that. But here's the— but, here's, no, but there's a better reason. There's a better reason than that. You deferred the coin toss. You went with the Belichickian rule, which says defer so that you can score at the end of the half and score at the start of the third. Well, whether you can score at the start of the third, you still want to score at the end of the half anyway. Right, but that's the Bel that's the whole right. Belichickian philosophy behind doing that. He was right. the first guy who started doing right. that. That's fine. So then why would you defer to take the third quarter kickoff if you're not going to take advantage of that final half's possession? The that makes no sense. Yeah, the worry there that Shanahan had, and I understand the worry of it, is that there was, I believe, what, 140 back when that, when, when that possession was. started? If you, let's say, 
go three and out and throw two incomplete passes. The Chiefs are getting the ball back with a minute 20 seconds and three timeouts. That's a problem. Well, that's for, a big problem. For a guy who is Especially blooded. for a team, though, like the Niners, who have not exactly scored points throwing the football. Okay, but we are talking about a guy who has been lauded as an offensive genius, an innovator, with so many multiple schemes. You mean to tell me he doesn't have even three or four, quote, safe pass plays, screens, flat passes, quick hitters, crossing routes, something that he can do? No, that's fine. For a guy who's supposed to be an offensive wizard? And, And Paul, I agree. If I was the Niners, I would have been more aggressive. But there is a worry there. Especially a Niners offense that has not been dynamic throwing the football for most of the year. Now, there have been games like the Saints game where they have been very good at it. Where you're worried about giving the Chiefs the ball back there before the half with plenty of time to score. Anyway, let's go to the fourth quarter. Because I happen to agree. I think they should have been more aggressive. We can uh, okay. We can agree fine. on that. I was just explaining for the fans what I think Shanahan's thinking was in that situation. Oh, I know what his thinking was. He's right. wrong. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Um, fourth quarter now. All right, so... Um, the Niners get the ball with 11.57 to go. They run on first down for six yards. Complete a pass for 12 over the middle on on second down. So you're at first and 10 with 10.37 to go. That's not the drive I'm upset with. I'm upset with the six-minute drive. Okay, well. At 6.13. You said fourth quarter. So I'm okay, going to well, the fourth quarter. It, uh, fine, fine. Okay. But to me, it's the last seven minutes of the okay. game that's most offensive. I'll go to the next one, okay? Now, here's the thing, though. The first and ten, you run for five, right? Then you're mad about the pass on second and five, I imagine. I didn't like either one of those those plays. The problem is that on second and five, the George Kittle's wide open over the middle and Garoppolo didn't throw him the ball. I understand that. And that's what they've already been saying on TV. The right. people who counter it say it was just a great play by Jones, and I understand Well, that. the bigger problem is that Garoppolo threw it to the wrong guy. Well, yeah. I mean, he, <laughs> he threw it to the wrong guy because he had George Kittle one-on-one with Terrell Suggs, of all people, over the middle. He did. And, th- and that, that should have been an easy pitch and catch. He did. Now, the counter to that on the other side is why even take a chance in that situation where you just gouge them for the five yards? And again, my feeling is by the time the fourth quarter comes around, that's usually where the Niners have made a lot of their hay on the ground. And so why even put the ball in the air where the old 1950s philosophy always said that when you put the ball in the air, three things can happen, and all three of them are bad. Right. So, I mean, so you basically so two of them are so, bad. So, I'm so, sorry. So your big problem in the fourth quarter, it's not an array of plays. It's that second and five play that, that really gets you. The second and five play really hits me, and, the, and to be honest, I'm not so sure that I really like the third down call. Remind me, what was that third down call again? Bourne, Bourne ran, I believe he was supposed to run an out and up on oh, the yeah. right sideline, and instead right. he wound up That's stopping. Right. I think Kittle was open on that play too. Now, I don't know I don't know what Garop- uh, Gar- Gar- Garoppolo's... Um, Thank goodness it wasn't Mike Garoppolo. That would have been a real problem. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> no offense, Mike. You know, I love you. <laughs> I don't know what Garoppolo's progression was supposed to be right. on that play. Or what the route was supposed to be for that matter. Or the, or the right. route. Right. It looked as though the route was the wrong route. Mm-hmm. It looked as though. Um my feeling on that play was you only need five yards, okay? There, again, are multiple plays that they have in their text, in their book that can get you the five yards instead of throwing the ball a little bit downfield further with a receiver who, who obviously had some communication issue. Whatever it was, I don't know what it was. See, but to, something got screwed up. See, to me, that's not a schematic thing, though. That's a player thing. Well, it turned out to be a player thing, but 
But again, if you're designing a play just to get the first down, it's probably a higher percentage play than the one that they ran. Because it looked to me like Jimmy G went right to him as his first progression. That's where he wanted to throw it. And to me, that was not a great play. Okay, that's fair. And and I don't know, obviously, like you said, we don't know what that progression was. By the timing of his throw, it, it looked it like that was that was the only guy. I mean, that yeah. was it looked like from the time he dropped back, that's where he was throwing it. And it just seems to me, again, we're talking about a guy who's been lauded as an offensive wizard. Shanahan has been been uh, talked about as having so many creativity uh, items in his playbook. And that's what you gave me. See, I don't, I don't know if he's necessarily captain creativity. I think he just runs a very good system with the, with the, you know, the bootleg play action, the outside zone, and that sort of stuff. I don't know if he's, you know, necessarily Mister Trick Player or anything like that necessarily. And look, they have not had the thing with the 49ers was the same thing with the Ravens to an extent, right? The way you beat the 49ers is to get them down and turn them into a passing team. And that's when you're going to get into trouble. Now, the Chiefs mm-hmm. weren't able to do that, obviously. But at the end of the game, it, it kind of went in that direction a little bit because they felt like they had to throw in order to move the ball, which, to your point, there maybe is a, you know, a you know, false logic in that anyway. But, you know... How about going to the fullback there? How about Garoppolo not missing you know? the guy wide open on a skinny post for a touchdown? No, no question. No question. But again, that's, a, that's another case of the Niners failing to execute. The Niners gave this Super Bowl away. Well, yeah, yeah. Look, look. I think it's fair to say that if not for Niners' mistakes, and I think to me it's more about the mistakes on the field than it is with coaching, but that's fine. We can disagree on that. That's okay. Um, yeah, look, when you have a 21-10 lead with, with seven or eight minutes to go, whatever it was, you're going to have something to do with losing that game. Yeah, it's There's more no question, about what you don't do than what the other team does. Now, having said that, folks, let me just say I'm thrilled for Steve Spagnuolo. I thought that his defensive coordinating plan, clearly he outcoached Shanahan I wish on, he, on his defensive side of the ball. I wish he brought more pressure in the first half. I'm surprised he wasn't more aggressive with that, to be honest. But with you me. know what? On that final play, no, he, he sent six. He did. On that final play and busted up that well, final the, play. I thought the whole second half he was more aggressive sending yeah, guys. He did, he did a really good job. He mixed things up very, very mm-hmm. well. And he doesn't have the most talented defense in the league either. But no. he did a really, really terrific job as they mounted their comeback. And, of course, David Merritt and Sam Madison, both guys who worked in this building, uh, they're also on that staff in the secondary for Spag. So I am thrilled for them. I really, really am. But I'm, I'm just saying right now, I'm just glad that I'm not a San Francisco 49ers fan because I would be oh, really sour. Yeah, and you should be. Absolutely. I mean, you got a game where you got Patrick Mahomes playing as poorly as he did, you know, putting aside the couple big plays that were made at, at the end of the game. That game is ripe for the taking. It's ripe for the taking. It's your game. Yeah, absolutely. No, no argument. So I think we're actually more in agreement than, okay. than you thought. That's fine. <laughs> you said to me at the beginning, you think I'm going to disagree with you, well, and I, I saw. That's true. What was I going to do? No, but I, I, I think, I think in the end, I think we were, I think we were both making the same, relatively similar points, but just looking at it from two different perspectives. Yeah, that's fine. I looked at it more from the Chiefs' perspective. You looked at things more from the Niners' perspective. Yeah, and and you know, ultimately, when push comes to shove, uh, it doesn't matter because the Chiefs are the champs. And Andy Reid, good guy, great good guy, mm-hmm. and yes, for him. Uh, I've never been a big Andy Reid game day fan. I've always thought that in big games, he would do things to screw things up. His track record had indicated that the most career victories without a Super Bowl championship, as you know, John. Uh, but you know what? What did he do on Sunday? He left it pretty much to Biennemi and to Spags. 
Well, I don't know how much that he left it to be enemy necessarily. How do we know that? Uh, we don't know exactly how many plays he did or did not, but as you watched on the sideline, whenever they were showing him, he wasn't like really active uh, in terms of the microphone. It didn't look it looked like he was more of an observer than he was a play caller. And I think that, you know, this is a case like I always felt that Jim Fossil um, got to the Super Bowl against the Ravens in 35 because of Sean Payton and because of John Fox. Well, I feel the same way about Biennemi and Spags. I think they deserve a tremendous amount of credit for being able to uh, to get this trophy for Andy Reid. But yes, good for Andy Reid because he's a good guy. Uh, he's a terrific family man. The players love him. He does a tremendous amount of preparation during the week. We all have heard how good he prepares his team or how well he does. And uh, and now, you know, he was smart enough to stay out of the way on Sunday, and he's got a championship. And I thought he made some good decisions on fourth down in that game, too. To yes. give his team the chance to, you know, score an extra couple points. Yes, over the I agree with that, game. too. 201-939-4513. It's all brought to you by Coors Light. <coughs> Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. I'm just getting over a cold here, Paul. If you get me sick again, I'm going to come after you. I hope you're ready for that. You're doing right over there? I'm not, I'm not sure what, what's in my throat, but it seems like I got this horrible itch in my throat. It's driving me nuts. Well, I guess the 49ers did drive you nuts on Sunday night. Anyway. <laughs> oh. All right, here we go. Uh, we got a full bank of calls, as we always do, because you guys are the best. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Coach Marvin in Delaware. We'll let him lead us off today. Coach Marvin, what's going on, pal? How you doing, John? We're good, Coach. How Marvin. are you? Yeah, I was listening to your conversation about the uh, Super Bowl, and, um, you know, yeah, I have to look at it that you both are right um, in that situation. And in the, in the example of you both being right was the pass to Hill from um, Mahomes to the left that opened it up when they were down 20 to 10. That play, um, he took, a, I believe, a nine-step drop from the um, mm -hmm. shotgun. Which put them deep because Very they knew had to get some time. And um, Paul, you were saying that that was a terrible throw. Actually, it turned out to be a pretty good throw because he, he he didn't he didn't follow through on it because he had somebody coming up pressuring them. So he kind of like it was all armed pretty much on that throw. And I think that's why it was short. Um, but that's true, by play. the way. I think he was 15 yards deep from the line of scrimmage by the time he finally yeah. released the ball, and he did not have a good uh, forward step through or follow through, so it was all arm. So it's amazing he was able to do what he did in light of the physical characteristics of the play. Yeah, it was a shotgun I, play, and he dropped back another like eight yards. It was crazy. I, I agree with that, yeah. Coach Marvin. I absolutely agree with that. But it's also very inexcusable for the Niners not to be able to make a better play either on the ball or even on the quarterback. I understand that. And they did show that film of that what happened there. And what happened is the study of that, that was a that was a, a, a triple uh, jet. And what was supposed to happen, the guy on the inside and the, the two guys on the inside was going to run post. And then the guy on the outside was going to come underneath. They did that play. And Hill ran a post corner. If you look at the safety, he had to do a round robin yep. because they put a post in there. And so it was a well-designed play on Andy Reid and his staff because the corner, the third corner, which was supposed to be, it was a, uh, they were playing a three, uh, three deep. That third corner took the guy, the shallow guy, coming across the middle, which at the same time, when Hill showed this was facing towards the corner, looking like he's running a post, he turned his hip 
and he cut back on the corner route, and that seemed him totally off. It was a well-designed play. It wasn't really what um, San Francisco, uh, what San Francisco didn't do. It was that design of the play that caused them to do what they did. So it, it, it was well-designed, and, and the mistake on the corner on the backside that he wasn't there to defend that pass. So I, I thought it's a little bit of both of you guys are right. I, I think That's fine. <laughs> I accept that because, to be honest with you, Coach Marvin, in a lot of these instances, there really are percentages of both sides of the argument. That yeah. really happens a, a lot. It happens more often than people think. Well, yes, it does. Because when the plays are designed, you design plays to be successful. Of course. And on the defense, you do the same thing. So it comes down to, can I confuse them to what their coach taught them? I got to show them something their coach never showed them. And mm-hmm. confuse them to force them to make a mistake. Because it's true. Plays are made based on somebody, another side, the other team making a mistake. True. Either in the pass side or the defensive side. Who's going to make the mistake to open up that play? And, and they always are mistakes on big plays. Somewhere along the <laughs> That, that's true, Marvin, unless it's a 50-50 ball. And in that case, it's just who wants to fight for the ball harder. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That's usually the only one. But it's rare. You say, oh, that was great defense. But the guy got 30, 40 yards. He said, Wasn't that? <laughs> I hear you. And the other thing I had an issue with, uh, as far as the coaching from Paul's side, where I feel that I think it was Paul. I can't remember which one of y'all was saying about what San Francisco didn't do. At that half, that is a must that you call timeout. When they was ready to punt, he could have easily called timeout at that point. Mm-hmm. And the misdirection, because they were outflanking, um, they were outflanking Kansas City. That that the, the plays they were calling on the edges with receivers running and, and misdirection. And what they were doing is they were flipping the, the strong side. They put you on one side and they get you on the strong side. And then they're motioning their way back to the weak side. Which right. Now, they are now stronger than you because they got more guys than you. Correct. They, can, they, can, they counter their way into that weak side. They were doing a lot of stuff to damage the weak side. So you see gaps in between them, uh, in between the, inside, the outside linebackers and the corners. So there was no one there to really stop them when they were full guys. If they were running those plays, uh, ran those plays in late in that game and before halftime, they would have got points. I don't think Kansas City would have stopped it. And, and if you remember, in the fourth quarter, they went conventional running. They put a guy in the back, not a lot of motion. Correct. And they, just ran, they ran off tackle or inside. And so now they're running into Kansas City strength. They don't have to worry about them motioning and moving around. Because motion, you're trying to confuse them and see what they're in a little bit. So you kind of it's like chess game, and, and that was surprising to me, Coach. Because here's the thing, the, you know, the standard simple, you know, okay, we're going to show you what we're going to do. Plays the Chiefs did a solid job in stopping those running plays. It yeah. was the it was the, it was the running plays that were out of fancy formations that gave the Chiefs difficulty, and yet the Niners somehow, some way, decided to get away from those, and that's yeah. just not their game. All year long they've been running that stuff, and they they decided to throw that part of the playbook into the trash can in the fourth quarter. And, Paul, that was their downfall. When that happened, Kansas City was playing them the way they wanted to play. Yep. Now 
now without the motions and all that movement, Kansas City was like, okay, we're going to play you straight up. And they said it at the end. They were glad they stopped running the ball. Sure. And, and, and look, and here's the problem with that, Coach Marvin. Hey, Coach, we got to run. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Yeah. The good stuff, Coach. And, and that's the beauty about Spags, okay? Spags, you know, he saw what was going on. He saw how the Niners were not using all their bags of tricks and said, fine, okay, we'll play it straight up and we'll just hold. And that's what they did. So good for him. Again, I'm a huge Spags fan. So uh, you might want to tell these folks about the uh, – the big local NBA news that just well, popped onto your machine. I'm not going to take calls on it, but it came up. We can't take calls on it, but you no, can mention it. I suppose we can, but we're not. Um, <laughs> Knicks have fired Steve Mills, Knicks president and general manager. How about that? Of course, right as soon as the show starts. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giant. Chat two days before the tread deadline because that's normal. That's what, that's what normal teams do. <laughs> the I, you know what? Are they going to let you make trades now? No, they, they should be better <laughs> off. Um, I, think, I think the funny question is that: What do you think? What conversation? What cockamamie idea did Steve Mills have that finally put James Dolan over the edge? That's the question, right? What did it? Uh, did he go with him? To, did he go to him with a trade proposal that freaked out the owner? That has to be it, right? right? It's got to be no. Anyway, 201-939-4513. We, we, we could talk 40 minutes about yeah, this probably quite could. easily. But instead, we'll let Bruno talk about the Super okay. Bowl in the NFL. What's up, Bruno? Hello. How you doing, boys? Hi. How you doing? Good talking to you. You too. Hey, uh, yeah, fire, fire Dolan. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, nobody can do that. Yeah, I know. I know. As far as the Giants, this is our Star Wars 2020 Giants, A New Hope. You know, it was the same. If it was the same coordinators, I'd, I'd be leery. But, you know, it's it, we, we got our new offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. So there is hope. And, you know, Danny Dimes, all, all that, there's, there's hope on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as as far as just a couple of points, you know, everybody, everybody is, you know, all about analytics and all that. And the Niners are one of the teams that, that, that do analytics the most. Well, you know, football comes down to guys executing plays and the right calls being made. I don't know if, if Shanahan analytics told him to stop running the ball, but, you know, I, I think that, that was a mistake. And that there's something to be said for maybe analytics caused him to lose the game. Well, here's, here's the problem. Much. Here's the problem. And, and I don't want to get in the soapbox because Paul and I had a, about an hour conversation in a car ride on Friday night about this. <laughs> and, you know, Paul's – I'm not going to say Paul anti-analytics, but Paul is leery of analytics. I just think that they should be they should right. be kept into their right. dre- dresser drawer in a certain area. I am more exactly. I, I am more liberal and, and, and progressive in using analytics that way, but I also think that you have to use everything in context. And I, the thing that I have a problem with is that way – the way a lot of people write about analytics, Bruno, first of all, half of them don't actually know what analytics are, and they just throw the word around because it makes them seem smart. And the other thing <laughs> is that nobody actually knows what teams actually use specific analytics and in what ways. Just because a team might talk about it publicly does not necessarily mean they're using them in the specific way that people believe. And just because other teams don't talk about them publicly doesn't mean they're not using them in certain ways. People don't know. They make assumptions. So that, I think, is something that's that's kind of really dangerous out there. Um, for the people that are kind of in that world, I think they read some of the stuff and they just laugh because the people that are on the outside looking in have no idea 
what you know their football information people are telling the head coach, what they take in consideration in their game planning and their decision making on game day. Nobody actually knows, and the people that purport that they do, frankly, are fooling themselves and everyone else that's reading their stuff. And I'll leave it at I that. I agree. Yeah, I agree. And I, I just, I just wonder. That's all I'm saying. Like, I wonder if if he relied too much on analytics because this is kind of common sense. You know, if if you're the Seahawks. And you got first and goal. You run the ball with with Marshawn Lynch. You don't you don't throw a pass. You know, in this case, you, you got a twenty to ten lead. Run the ball, man. Kill the clock. But anyway, uh, so that that was just my thought on analytics. Pre-snap motion. It's beautiful to see these teams with the pre-snap motion on offense and defense. I just feel like our Giants, for so many years now, we're just kind of standing in place. It's very predictable. So maybe that's something that Joe Judge and his staff can can pick up on. You know, from the Super Bowl. It's very interesting. Um, and then. As far as the, you know, the flavor of the month is everybody wants to you know. There's going to be trends. There's flavors of the month. It seems like this is the first in my in my thought because Aaron Rodgers is a, an athletic pocket passer. Drew Brees, athletic pocket passer. You know, but the the in the pocket passer like an Eli Manning, like a, a Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. These are guys who have won multiple Super Bowls. So. And I wonder if, if fans or the NFL is going to say, look, a scrambling quarterback now finally won the Super Bowl like a Lamar Jackson, a Patrick Mahomes. Well, no, no, see, I, well, I, Bruno, I, I want to stop you for a second. I think putting Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson in the same category is silly. Yeah, they're not the same. They're not the same. They're not the same. Like, like, for example, Patrick Mahomes is a lot more like Russell Wilson than he is Lamar mm-hmm. Jackson. Mm-hmm. And Russell Wilson's an excellent thrower of the football. And Lord knows, Patrick Mahomes is one of the most dynamic arms and makes some of the toughest passes of any quarterback in the league. His running yeah, supplements him his, his ability to throw it. It's not what he's about. Right. Right, right, right. Well, so so I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, Daniel Jones is athletic enough to extend a play. And, exactly. And, and, and turn things, you know, make something out of nothing. You know, and, and I've, I've mentioned before, and you know, I think Jason Garrett with with Tony Romo, that Tony Romo killed us quite a few times just extending the play. And if he had to scramble, he would scramble. Daniel Jones has that in him, so I'm I'm just I'm hoping Jay, and, and same thing with Dak Prescott. So I'm hoping Jason Garrett can uh, can bring that you know to the game because I don't think Daniel Jones is apprehensive to run. I think he's smart. I don't want a guy like a Lamar Jackson who's going to be you know, rushing for a thousand yards, but God forbid he takes a hit from from some monster D tackle or, or linebacker. You know, the best of ability is availability. So yeah, you know, it's funny, you know, Bruno. What, what, you you brought up two quarterbacks that Garrett has, and I actually think that Jones, not in terms of physical stature now, but in terms of the way he utilizes his mobility, I think he's much more similar to Prescott than he is to Romo. Romo was so elusive in the pocket, those spin moves, avoiding pressure, running around, throwing different arm angles and doing crazy stuff. Even going back to his college tape, and Paul, we've talked about this, we don't see Daniel Jones do a lot of that. No. But he will tuck the ball and run if things break down. Yes. Kind of what Dak Prescott does. Dak Prescott isn't a guy that's going to spin around and do crazy stuff in the pocket, but he will run in a straight line. They'll do some design runs with him. So I think the Prescott-Jones comparison is a little bit better than the Romo-Jones comparison in that way. Yeah, in terms of their legs, I would agree with that, actually. I really would. Yeah. And, and and by the way, Jason Garrett, when he played quarterback, was like a statue back then. <laughs> yeah, so if he's gonna show if he's gonna show Daniel Jones some footwork moves, we we got a big problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, honestly, Bruno, I, I don't I don't think that comes from coaching. That to me is a, is an is almost like an instinctual athletic thing. That's not a coaching thing. Like what Russell Wilson can do and what Tony Romo did and what Mahomes can do in terms of the crazy pocket movement and creating space. 
That ain't coachable. You either got that or you don't. Yeah. I, I think the bottom line is, and we've we've known this forever from some of the great Hall of Fame quarterbacks, even Dan Marino, who was basically a statue. He had terrific escapability within the pocket, and 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 on a, yeah, no question. But but the point is. Escapability is a wonderful tool. It is a great thing to have if you're a quarterback. You don't have to be a running quarterback or a, quote, mobile quarterback to have escapability. Yeah, like I wouldn't consider Romo a running or mobile quarterback, but he he escaped better than anyone. Slippery. No question. Oh, he was. He was very slippery. Yeah, I think slippery is a very good word, Bruno. I agree. (laughs) Yes. Good good talking to you boys. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. uh, I I echo your sentiments. Uh, Congrats to to Andy Reid now that he's not coaching the the Eagles. And congrats (laughs) to to Sam Madison and Dave Merritt. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Of course, Spags. Thank you. Appreciate the call, my friend. Good stuff. Yeah, and and, and Merritt and and Sam Madison are, are good calls, Paul, because they were. They were good dudes. You know, good I was. Dudes. I didn't know initially that Sam Madison was actually on that stage. I didn't know. I didn't know that until, until recently, a few, a few days ago, to be quite honest. With you. And I didn't yeah, know that either. when I heard about it during the playoffs, I'm guessing he's the assistant defensive backs coach. Is that what he is? I think he's the corners coach. Oh, he's a technical and Merritt does so. safeties. Yeah, okay. I think so. I and you. and and what really surprised me was I had then read an article about it, and they said that you know when Spags got there to Kansas City, um, Andy Reid had asked him. You know, can we, you know, figure out somebody to help you out in the secondary? And he had a few names. And Spags goes, what about Sam Madison? <laughs> and Andy's like, okay, give him a call. He brings in Sam. And, of course, Spags loved Sam when he was here. I mean, absolutely adored Sam on their way to winning that Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, you know, Super well, Bowl Everyone 42. did. He was the best. No question. 201-939-4513. 4513 Let's go to Joe in Pennsylvania. I haven't talked to Joe in a bit. What's up, buddy? Uh, hi. Uh, I agree on all you were saying about the Super Bowl there. My biggest thing there was the change was uh, momentum. When uh, I think it was early in the fourth quarter when they intercepted Mahomes there. And they were celebrating in the end zone like they won the Super Bowl, like it was <laughs> over, really and truly. And that was the moment. Once Kansas City got that drive after after that and scored the touchdown, and Spags was putting the pressure up, he brought everybody to the line. Momentum and pressure changed that game. 49ers couldn't get going again. And that was it. I could see it right then and there. Uh, honest to God, you see them guys celebrate in like, the, like you could have dropped the confetti and everything. Like they, it the game was over, and that's what happened. And uh, as far as Andy Reid, like the last caller says, I could take him celebrating in red, not in green. <laughs> so uh, that's happy for that. Well, now getting to our coaching, and I like all them coaches we got. What I think about that that they'd have more time with all these coaches and assistants and that to give individual help to some of these players to make sure that they have the system and know their assignments. Wouldn't you agree with that? Well, I mean, here's the thing. The coordinator who gives them the big picture then basically divvies up each of the individual positional assignments to his position coaches. So... The coordinator has to be exactly in sync with his assistants before the assistants can actually get the message through to the players. So it really is a two-pronged process. I mean, if that's what you're asking. Yeah, well, I'm saying that, right. You get the game plan and everything. The main guys have it and that. But then all the coaches and individuals, the the assistants, they can 
pull over the, the, the players and have more time individually with them Correct. to make sure that they know what's going on. Correct. Which would lead them to be, you know, less penalties and stuff like that. That's what I'm really liking about this. Well, Joe, you know, this is why the, the staff is so critically important, and so many people don't believe that, but it's true. Right. I, I like that, you know, teaching to make sure because... If you don't have your your basics down and know what you're doing, forget about the rest. That's that's what I, I I'm loving. Another thing in that Kansas City game again, you did see, you know, they don't they might not be great their receivers from Kansas City, but they all have speed and they come at you. And and really that's a big thing. That uh, their general manager is a very young kid from our area. You know, Andy Reid brought him in with the Eagles there, and then when he went to Kansas City there, uh, he, he he brought him in for his general manager. But you can see speed, man. They all have speed, so that's a big thing. Thank you for taking my call. Bye. Hey, appreciate the call. Okay, Joe. Joe. Stuff. 201-939-4513. And I found myself rooting for Andy Reid, too, as someone that, you know, obviously – a rival to the Giants for so long, but he's been at this a long time, and you see a lot of those coaches like Dan Reeves that, and Marv Levy that coached for such a long time but could never get over the hump. It's good to see a guy like Andy Reid do it, honestly. Man, Chuck Knox. Yeah, another good one. Yep. You know, and, and you know. Marty Schonheimer. Oh, my goodness, Marty. How close he came so many times. Yeah. You know, and, and it's funny because um, at the time, you know, when he went to the Super Bowl with the Eagles, People knew that Eagles team was really good, and they were going to have some chances. As it turned out, they never got back. I know. You never know when you're going to get back, Paul. That's part of the trick. I know. It's all brought to you by Coors Light, Mount Cold, refreshing, made to chill. Mike in Brooklyn's up next. Hey, Mike. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey. Hi. Thanks, Mike. Good to talk to you. Hey, John. Great job the senior ball. Appreciate that. Man, no problem. Happy. Honestly, that's the type of work I, I love to do. It was a pleasure. And you could tell. You could tell you enjoyed yourself. Thank um, you. I have. Uh, I was just making it up, thinking about um, when I was watching the game, and I guess I've been spoiled by watching Eli and Peyton Manning and uh, Tom Brady. Um, you know, getting to the line of scrimmage, taking their team out of a out of a bad play, and putting them into a good play. I these those guys are obviously all students of the game, watch a lot of tape, and and really play that way. Um, I didn't notice that, you know, you got the new breed of quarterbacks, the Mahomes, and like you guys said, you wouldn't compare Mahomes to um, uh, Lamar Jackson, but I noticed that they don't do a lot of that. A lot of the, most of their plays are out, you know, the, like the outside the pocket when they're um, being pressured, they'll go outside the pocket and, you know, they're 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 going to make a play like that when you know the receivers come back to them or the receivers make an adjustment. Um, but I don't see a lot of at the line, you know, making a you know taking them out of a play or any kind of adjustments. Um, and I noticed that specifically uh, with Lamar Jackson uh, in the playoff game, he was you know kind of locked in. The only reads that he seemed like he was making were the RPO reads, you know, and. Um, I just, I'm wondering to myself, these guys are going to get, are these guys going to pursue and get so much better with the study of the game and putting themselves in and out of good plays, or are they going to rely on their God-given talents? Because I've seen that happen before with RG3, 
And we know what happened there. He had that one good season when people were trying to figure him out. And then it was, you know, back up central from, the, from if, there on If in. I may, I would just in, interject this one thought. I thought that Russell Wilson was a system quarterback early in his career and did not give him nearly enough credit because I didn't think that he had the all-around game. No, but he but I don't he think I don't, I don't it. think at first he did. He did not. But he became now Russell Wilson is a pure quarterback. He's might be the best in the league. By the time he got to his 5th year, okay, 4th or 5th year, yeah. all of a sudden it started to all come together and Russell Wilson was becoming a terrific all-around quarterback. That's a guy who totally fooled me and developed all the skills necessary to be that guy. Sure. I never thought that RG3 would. I always felt he would be a rookie of the year, but he would fizzle out either because teams would catch up to him or because he would get injured. And there's no reason. And Lam- that's what happened. And there's no reason Lamar Jackson can't do what Russell Wilson did. He's just got to work at it. Now, so will he be yep. Russell Wilson or will he be RG3? Right. We don't know the answer to that. Right now, my feeling is a guy like that who you have to put hope on and say, I want him to convert into the right guy, I would never take a guy like that. And quite honestly, I know, and I know Paul's going to disagree with me on this, and that's fine, I'd put Josh Allen into that category. He relies on his legs so much running the ball. Too much, too much. I would rather he didn't. And I think I think he needs to develop more of those quarterbacking skills, too. I, you know, it's not to the extent that you have Lamar Jackson, who rushed for 1,000 yards this year, obviously, right. and they run a lot of the, you know, a lot of the read option stuff and, you know, that sort of stuff. But look... It can happen. Guys do it, and I think Russell Wilson is a is a great example. I mean, even Cam Newton. Cam, Cam Newton coming out of Auburn, a lot of people had thought he could never become as good of a pocket passer. Now, he has he's never developed to the point that Russell Wilson has. He's not that. But he's certainly much better as a passer than he was when he first came into the league. See, in terms of running style, to me, Josh Allen is a lot more like John Elway. Yeah, I think that's fair. One of those other guys. He runs a lot. Though. Now, now, what I would like him to do is develop all the other intangibles, the savvy, the wherewithal, and and I would like to see him cut down on a number of runs because I think he has the rest of the package, the rest of the physical gifts that he could be a winning quarterback without using so much of his legs. My, that's that. That's why I like him so much. Oh, that's fair. The thing I start, just think about when you said that with Russell Wilson was, you know, the big concern was his height when he first came in the league. And, like, after one or two seasons, they weren't talking about his height anymore. Oh, Drew Brew Breeze, too. That's true, too. Bree, you know, Breeze is the shrimp of all the star quarterbacks, but he's getting it done. Now, remember, the thing about yeah. Wilson, too, is that he holds the ball a lot. So I wonder if some of that has to do with his height, his inability to kind of see over the line a little bit, and that's why he has mm-hmm. to scramble around and run around. I don't know that if that's true or not. But that, that could also be a factor in, in some way, shape, or form. Thanks a lot, guys. I'll get off the phone. I know you have more calls. Thank no, you. that's okay. Good call. We got some good calls today. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Mark in Jersey City. He wants to join in on the analytics discussion. Hey, Mark. Uh, how are you guys doing? Thanks for having Hi. me. Hey, uh, thanks for calling in, Mark. What's going on? Uh, uh, two quick things. Uh, one about the Super Bowl, one about analytics. Sure. Um, I'm sorry. that The whole point of double dipping to get that – possession before the half you know you're defer- you deferred you're getting the ball to start the second half right all three timeouts in your back pocket so th- he cut his nose off despite his face the situation was set up perfectly and he yes. bottled it because no, he agree. went conservative and there's that's reprehensible there's no excuse for that you ha- plus you have two weeks to prepare well and honestly the bigger mistake is that he shouldn't have 
you say he had all three timeouts. Well, if he really did it properly, he would have called a timeout after the Chiefs' third down play yeah. to stop the clock before the punt. Right. That's when he should have used the first one. If you were, once he didn't use the timeout there, I turned to my brother. I said, Pete, they're not going to try to score here. They're just not. Because if they were trying to score, they wouldn't have let the clock all the way down to the, uh, go all the way down to the two-minute warning on the Chiefs' last possession of their, of their drive. So once, he, once they decided not to do that, I knew that they weren't going to try to score because if they were going to try to score, they would have called the timeout in the Chiefs' final play. No, but that was the point. Is like you had they had that option. Oh, right. I, no, I know. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm with you. And even even though they hit the pass to Kittle, and that was a horrible offensive pass interference. I mean, if that was called, a Gronk would have never caught half the pass that he did if they if they called it the way they called mm. it against Kittle. That was. I thought it was a fair was, call. You, you know, and and the guys on the TV explained it correctly by the book. That, that is a penalty. Now, that doesn't mean it gets called all the time. In fact, it might only get called 60% of the time. And if it doesn't get called, you're not going to throw a tantrum. Okay? Right. But it did get called, and in reality, it was a penalty. The problem, I, th I think the two factors of why, I, and at first I was with you guys, I'm like, I don't know about that one. Then I saw the replay, and you saw the fully extended arm, and you saw the defender's shoulder pad literally get jostled and pushed back on the guy's body. And once you saw the extended arm and the defensive player move because of the contact, I think you have to make the call. I'll, I'll, and the uh, sad thing is, I don't even think you had to do it. I'm going to be sorry that I said this. I don't even think you had to do it to catch it. Probably not. And Here's the thing. If it had not been called offensive pass interference and the Chiefs had thrown the flag and asked for a review, there's no way they would have turned out the other way. Let me put it to you that way. There I was no way unless, that was going to get turned. Unless, because it's a Super Bowl, they changed their approach to that. If they were using the same approach they had during the regular season, you're correct. It, it, was, it was a light penalty, but a penalty nonetheless. That was actually one interesting thing I wanted to see in the game, whether or not they would change their threshold. For, for overturning some of those we passes. We talked about this the other day. We did, but, but, but we never actually got to see that. So No. Anyway, what, what else you got? Yeah, my, my last thing on it, my, my issue with that is the consistency. Then how do you, how do you not call the uh, pass interference on uh, Kyle Rudolph uh, against the same You're, you're right. The same no, you're right. the same exact thing. There's and no question. Also, That's true. Breland, That's true. Breland, Richard Breland, hooked Emmanuel Sanders late in the game. And it was a clear. He totally turned him. He reached around him and turned him, and they just don't throw the flag. My problem is with the consistency, and that's where I'll, I'll stop with that. But analytics, um, my problem with analytics is not analytics at all. I love the information. I love the data. My problem is with the presenters of it. They present it with a certain level of snark as if it's the panacea. It's yes. the end-all, cure-all, and I do not like that because there's so much physicality, and you're trying to remove the people from and the person from the game. I, I'll, I'll use an analogy, and Paul like this. The North Dallas 40. The coach is in front of the team saying, no one of you is as good as that computer. The computer gives you the game plan, you follow it out to the letter, and the, and, and the team becomes disillusioned to it. They become like, yeah, whatever this guy says. We're still people. We have interpersonal problems, etc. And that's what I don't like analytics. Yeah, I, and, and, I, and I agree with you, and I think your point, and if people follow some of the analytics guys on Twitter like I do, and, and I like the numbers, I like using them, they present them with such authority and such certainty that the numbers are infallible when, in fact, 
we learn of different data sets all the time that disprove some previous thoughts that people thought analytics had proven, but, but they didn't because new data changes people's minds because new data obviously changes observation and analysis. And they present them as though if you question the, not even, you know, don't believe them, but just question that that's 100% certain in every situation, regardless of what's going on, that you're some type of idiot. And as for someone that believes in that sort of stuff, I get turned off by it, and they annoy me so much that I start thinking, boy, you know, you, they're not helping their own cause by the way they talk about it, present it, and treat people that are trying to learn about it and might have some skepticism. They, they're, they're not good at bringing people into the tribe. They, they aren't trying to make it a wider tent. They're trying to keep their narrow tent and yell and scream at everybody that's not right in the center of the tent and believe in everything that they're saying. Yeah, correct. And we all know who those guys are. And, and they also have a, a horse in the race. They're trying to peddle their subscriptions to their site. They're also trying, it's, it's a monetary thing. So they're trying to make money. My site has this data, so you buy this prescription, and so you can sound smart in front of your other friends. So I find that there, there's a little bit of a um, uh, an agenda there with their information, and that's another problem I have with it. Understood. Hey, appreciate the call, my friend. You got well, anything else for us? Uh, no, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Cool. Appreciate the call, man. Good stuff. You know, it's funny because the stat services, and this has nothing to do with them, but they're the media's best friend because the beat guys who don't have the time, the wherewithal, or the knowledge to understand the game can just go to a stat service and just start quoting stats. Correct. And say, oh, you know, this stat service says this guy runs this, or this guy runs that, or they're not doing this. And, and... That's the lazy way out. It allows the the people who cover the team not to understand or gain knowledge or work hard to figure out what's going on. It just allows them to start quoting numbers and fling the numbers around to prove their ridiculous arguments. And to me, that's the one of the biggest problems with these with these numbers right now. You know, they're 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 getting used as rationale for hollow arguments anyway i agree it does it takes away the level of work necessary to prove things when you don't have to do the work yourself and i feel like even going to a sport like baseball where you know you want to argue one player is better than the other and then somebody that throws out well he's a higher war so he's better well that's lazy right that's lazy. That, that's a great example. The war is is just in my mind. It's destroyed so much of the beauty about baseball because some guy says he's better than him because he's got a higher war. Really? Yeah. So d- right. you're right. You're right. So Derek Jeter was just not very good, right? Because he had a bad war in the field. Well, it's funny. I, was, I mean, it's I, ridiculous. Right. That, that's the thing. It's such a broad number that you lose all nuance with it, which is even why I don't like. Um, <coughs> The stat that combines slugging and on-base percentage. Oh, OPS. OPS, thank OPS. you. OPS. <laughs> it's a good number to judge how good a player is, in generally speaking, right? You can say, all right, well, if this guy has a 1,100 OPS, he can't be bad, right? You know he's really good. You can't have an right. 1,100 OPS and be okay. bad. Okay. But why does he have that OPS? Is it because he walks a lot? Is it because he hits a lot of home runs? Is it because he has a lot of doubles? Does he have a high batting average? Why does he have the high OPS? And I think when you get to these overly broad numbers, you lose a lot of that nuance. And 
I do think the people that do this and are coming up with these numbers, they're doing it for good reasons. But I think then the people that go and use them often misuse them and misapply them in ways that sure. can sometimes get a little bit shady and fishy. And this sure. is for, again, this is for someone that believes in this stuff. I love it. I go through it all the time. You see my articles I write about this stuff. I love this stuff. But everything needs to be taken in proper context. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Don in Texas. He's up next. Hey, Don. Hey, John. How you be, Don? How you guys doing? Hello. Oh, great, Don. What's up? I wanted to talk about three things. I wanted to talk about the Super Bowl. Okay. Um, I wanted to talk about the draft and a possible 17-game season. But oh, first, okay. let me get into the Super Bowl. Sure. I, I really I just want to compliment both teams. That's the way football is supposed to look like. Fundamentally sound, physical up front. It was a great game. Now, we can break it down. We can blame the coaching. We can do all this. And this is where I'm going to talk to you, Dot, because we talk about it all the time. There's two things that control a football game. One, physicality. And two, the ability to make plays. For 52 minutes, San Francisco was the more physical team. They were getting up in Mahomes' face, their defense, up until the last eight-minute mark. Then you can see it flip, and the brilliance of Spagnola came out. He started blitzing more because they weren't having much pressure on San Francisco the sure. first three quarters. And then you can start seeing the physicality start to turn. Now, different teams can do that different ways. They can run. They can do screens, wide receiver screens. Kansas City started to pick up the – they started to run the ball more and dunk and dip to Kelsey a little bit more to give more physicality. Then the pressure started. Now, the ability to make plays, that's, that was the difference. Jimmy Garoppolo misses a guy wide open down the field, Emmanuel Sanders, who splits a double team, and he misses him wide open. Mahomes does not miss his guy on third and 15. Those are the differences in the game right there. It, it, it was an amazing football game to watch. I just want to go with that. And congratulations to Spags. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was a fun game. I'm not, I don't think anybody was disappointed with the game. No, not at all. And, and second, I was just doing a, a little hypothetical question. Uh, a scenario with a friend of mine. Now, we were talking about the draft, and just hypothetically, if Okud is there and if Simmons is there, what do you think the Giants are going to do? I said, I think they're going to Kuda, and I, and I don't think you guys will be disappointed with that either. If you look at the makeup of how the Patriots have done things over the years, it's front defense, a strong defensive line play and stronger secondary play. This, if, so if that option is there, I truly believe they're going to go Akuda or your pick, PDOT, because of Garrett, a strong left tackle. So I look at, I know people are getting hung up on Simmons, and as am I. But if Akuda's there, you really got to take a corner to shut down. That's what New England's blueprint was over the years, getting a, a strong second like, like a Gilmore. Well, and before that, they had Revis for a while. And, Correct. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, remember Ty Law as well? Oh my lawyer Malloy, yeah, that guy. So yeah, I mean, look, I, I, here's the bottom line, and and I and I and I mean this wholeheartedly. There are a handful of players that you could make a good case for for the Giants at four. In fact, you yes. can even make a case for moving down a few spots and getting probably one of those same guys out of that group for sure. I agree, and I think Carolina's the sleeper in there because they they seem to be a team who's really being very aggressive in everything they've been doing in the offseason. I see them moving up to go after a quarterback to, to jump in front of Miami as well as San Diego. That's possible. I see Carolina. 
Yeah, that's who I see them being the sleeper to move up. And Detroit, Detroit is also the X factor. Now, I just want to get your take on the 17 game. Well, and, and by the way, real quick, Don, there's a good chance yep. Okuda's not there. If no one moves up ahead of the Giants, the Lions could easily pick Jeffrey Okuda at three. To be honest, I with agree. You. Yeah, I agree. And they're the X factor as well. So if they decide to stay put, now they can go quarterback. They, you know, I don't know what they think about Stafford at this point. They can go Okuda. They can go any which direction. You're absolutely right, John. Now, in regards to the 17 game season. I'm all about doing a 17-game season. Now, I'm just a fan, of course. I'm not playing. Only if they increase the roster size. Now, if they keep it at 16 games, I'm not going to be heard about it. I kind of like it the way it is. I want your take on that, guys. What do you think about the 17-game season? Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Good stuff. You got it. Um, See, I think, did I talk about this with you last week or no? No. Okay. What do you got? 16 games is all I've ever known. I knew, I, I knew 18 with the USFL. Oh, you, you had 14, too, with the NFL, right? Yes. So but I also knew 18 with the USFL. 16 is all I know. So maybe I'm you know being a little too traditional with the way I'm looking at it, but I'm good with 16. Um, honestly, from a work perspective for me, and this is completely selfishly, and Paul, we talked about this in the car the other day, where <laughs> for us, did. 20 games is 20 games. Whether it's four preseason, uh. 16 regular season, there's no difference for our workload. It, it, it is what it is. So... For me, does it really matter if it's three preseason, 17 regular season? No, whatever. I think the fans get more out of it. By If you're paying for 20 games and you have 17 regular season instead of 16, I think that's better for the fans. You get a better product. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you don't get to see a lot of those back-end guys in the preseason. And, of course, one of the things that I saw kind of briefly mentioned was that the offseason program might get cut again if they go from, to 17 games from 16, which is something that obviously we've talked about a lot on this program, which isn't a good thing. So... I'm kind of happy the way it is, but I'm not a season ticket holder either. So uh, I get it. If it goes to 17 games, would I lose my mind? No, I do think it messes up your scheduling. I think right now the way the schedule is done is very, very nice. It's It's, true. It's very symmetrical. For someone like me that is all OCD, it just fits and it's good. Mm -hmm. If you had that 17th game, it kind of where's that final game coming from (laughs) and then some teams are playing nine home games in a year some teams are playing only eight and nine road games so i think there are a lot of things that going to 17 that i don't like would i be like really mad about it no whatever it's not that big of a deal but if if i was the one doing it i'd be very happy to keep it at 16 keep the playoff structure the same i'm happy the way it is you see back in the late 50s there was a 12 game season into the early 60s so my dad remembers when it was 12 and then when it went to 14 so it was a light cover in a 12 game season and that was was okay it was a big deal apparently when it went from 12 to 14 okay now i remember the 14 but then did it go to 14 after the merger is that when it went no no it went to 14 in the early 60s okay now here's the thing um, in my mind, I'm actually against 17 because it does screw up the symmetry of the schedule. I'd rather see them go to 18, which is what the USFL did for three years. Okay. Uh, that was from 83 to 85. And, you know, I covered the New Jersey Generals, Herschel Walker and company. So what would you do? You would just play two NFC divisions? Well, that's what you do. Yeah. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, they went through their entire deal with the USFL was it's an 18 game schedule. And they had their two buys in there, as I recall. And um, the players somehow survived. And a whole bunch of those players wound up coming back to the NFL. Some left the NFL to go there. Others came into the NFL. And dozens of them turned out to be NFL uh, Pro Football Hall of Famers. 
So to suggest that the 18-game schedule is criminal, heinous, and absolutely not doable, to me, I don't get that argument because I saw players do it for three years. So I can't I can't say that it's it's so criminal. Um they somehow found a way to make it work. It wasn't because of the 18 game schedule that the USFL folded. It folded because Trump tried to force them to play into the fall and it got screwed up with the stupid court system. Um so I'd rather see 18 than 17, but that's me. 201-939-4513. I don't have like super strong feelings on it. I, I just don't. All right, let's go to Chip in Las Vegas, and we'll save the crazy men for last. Chip, what's going on? Hello, John. Hello, Paul. Hi. Happy Tuesday. Yeah, well, we're getting calls from all around the country today. I like it. We're all over the place. It's very good. And, and by the way, I would make some adjustments if it went to 18. I would go with the two bye weeks, and I would add some guys to the roster, and I would allow more freedom between the practice squad players okay. and the regular rosters, too. I would make adjustments. Don't don't make me out to be a hard... A hard uh, I was going to say something else. I was going to be nasty and just have the players play the extra games and not give them any concessions. I would give them some concessions. Chip, go ahead. Hey, um, first of all, I just want to give a shout-out and say happy birthday to the great number 56, Lawrence Taylor, today. Mm, I didn't realize I it was LT's birthday. Shout-out there. Thank you for that. I didn't realize that either. I'm sure um, LT's having a good time somewhere. Yes, hopefully on a good golf course somewhere. I'm sure it yes, is. I, I guarantee you it's yeah. on a golf course somewhere. Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind. Secondly, um, just want to say thank you and congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs, especially with our former New York Giants on the staff, mm-hmm. and especially because, you know, keeping San Francisco one victory short, so the Giants can hopefully catch up. Yep, I like that too. So next Super Bowl win. Yes, sir. Um but I have a question regarding Super Bowl, and it was just at the beginning of the game with the coin toss, it was a bit confusing the way that the ref kind of went back to Kansas City and kind of asked them about do they want to receive the ball? Well, no, do you know why? And I could and, tell you why. I, I, Chip, I could tell you why you have to do that. Once the team that wins the toss, which was the 49ers, deferred, the Chiefs right. then still get the option. If the Chiefs wanted to, and this goes back to the thing you had with Dallas uh, earlier in the year when you had the confusion with the coin toss, right. after the first team defers, you can still decide to kick, which means the Niners would get the ball to start the game and they would get the ball to start the second half. Now, no one in their right mind is going to do that. But it that's why they still have to say, we want to receive. Because if they say, we want to kick, then the Niners would get the ball at the start of the first half and the start of the second half. You know what I'm saying? So you understand, when, when the team says, we defer, they're actually deferring the decision. Well, the deferring decision on the first half. Correct. Kick. Correct. Correct. I'm, I'm understanding the word defer like we're going to defer and take the ball in the second half, not defer the decision. No, correct. That's what they're doing. They're going to say we defer what – we're deferring the what's going to happen at the start of the game, correct. and we're going to take the ball at the right. start of the second half. So then the other team then gets to make the decision. Well, the other team's going to get the ball to start the second half. Do you want the ball to start the game, or do you want to kick the ball off to start the game? Now no one's ever gonna try to no one's ever gonna kick no. it, but that no. that is a technical option. Okay. All right. It just 
just kind of was a little strange because I was like, okay, well, why do they say they defer and then they're going back to Kansas City, but then San Francisco got to choose which side of the people they wanted to defend first. Right. So, okay. Thank you for the explanation on that. No problem, Chip. Um, my second my, Sounds my like someone second had a bet on the coin toss. I'll take the answer off the air. All right. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> it's regarding the franchise and transitional tags. Yes. Um, can you – now, I'm not going to get into – because I know we have quite a few free agents, but what is the deadline pretty much about when uh, the team needs to make decisions on uh, each of those? Is it the same date? Does it vary? But again, I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you so much. Paul, hope you feel better. All right. Sure. Uh, I'm doing okay. Just got a little tickle in my throat somehow today. I don't know what that's all about. But anyway, thank you so much. Thank you, Chip. Good stuff. Um, one thing to note about the franchise and transition tags. And Paul might be feeling ill about something else, too, at this time. I'm not <laughs> well, sure. I don't know. <laughs> I would only say this. The franchise and transition tags oh, apparently oh, are, are, are part of the possible discussion <laughs> as to what's going on with the CBA. And it's been expressed, at least by one of the national uh, announcers or national reporters. And I don't want to don't want to quote him or, or identify him because I'm not sure if I got it right. But I vaguely remember hearing something that there may be the possibility that teams might be allowed to have a franchise and a tra- transition tag in the same year if they do not come to a CBA agreement. Which it looks like they might, by the way. There's a lot of optimism about it. Which Seems would, to be. Which would be great. 10-year extension. I work for an NFL team. Yay. Keep it going. Good <laughs> oh, stuff. Oh, Let's double do it. thumbs up. Absolutely. <laughs> um, that'd be great. Um, apparently, they're making great progress. And I think the good sign is that there were reports that they were making good progress after the players met about the negotiation. That's even better. Which is even better. Yes. So, if they do not have a new agreement in place before this year's free agent series, and I'll get you the dates on that in a second... I'm looking it up as I'm trying to talk here. Multitasking, good stuff. Um, they can use both a franchise tag and a transition tag this offseason. Yeah, to this point, you have to use one or the other if you're going to tag somebody. All right, here we go. Um, February 25th is the, and I, apparently this is not built for mobile, so I have to flip my phone. <laughs> I have to call the Brandon. Call the league office. I'm unhappy with the NFL operations website being not formatted for mobile. Um, <laughs> so February 25th of this year is the first day, which is actually the second day we're in Indy for the combine, which yes. is how it usually lines. Did we up. tell people about that? By the way, uh, we'll be at the combine again. I just did. February 24th uh, <laughs> is the uh, first day. Yes, that that'll be when the coaches and, and GMs talk. That'll be a Tuesday. Right, and then Wednesday. Twenty fourth is a is a Monday, isn't it? No, but we're flying in, but we don't actually do anything. Oh, until okay, Tuesday. gotcha. We're flying in on twenty fourth is a Monday. Stuff happens on the twenty fifth. We'll have live shows from the combine on the twenty fifth, twenty sixth, twenty seventh, and the twenty eighth. We're doing four shows from the combine four. this year instead of three. Four for so four. So you are really going to be tired after having us for eight <laughs> hours over the course of four days. Anyway, back to the point I was trying to make. Yes. Uh, February twenty fifth will be the first day for clubs to designate franchiser. Uh, transition players, and then March 10th, prior to 4 p.m., um, or 4 p.m., rather, is the deadline for when you can put your franchise or transition tag on someone. So it's from the February 24th to March 10th, or 25th to March 10th. Mm-hmm. That is your franchise tag window. I would think the only possibility for the Giants to tag anyone would be Leonard Williams. And I'm not sure that that will happen, but I that would be a guy you would consider. thought about it in my head yet, but <sighs> yes, I agree. 
Yeah, I mean, no one else is a, is a big-time free agent, right? I mean, you're not going to franchise tag like Mike Remmers or Marcus Golden, I wouldn't think, right? Those would be the other two guys. Yeah, I can't see it because, no. uh, you know, the— Obviously not Remmers and Golden, even with his year, I don't, I don't see that. No. No, I think Williams deserves consideration. Whether or not it'll happen, who knows? But other than that, I don't think they would use a tag. Hi, Charlie. How are you? You can wrap us up. Hey, guys. Hi, Hi. Charlie. Hey, uh, you were talking about analytics and numbers. They're not, by themselves, they're fine. It's when people interpret them. Correct. You can interpret them any way you want, no matter what your agenda is. You can find a number that's going to work for you. And, that's, and it, that's the problem. In a lot of ways, you're right, which is kind of the point I made, Charlie, where the people that are putting these things together, I think, are really mm-hmm. just trying to get more information out there and make people more educated. But I think a lot of times, to my point before, people that don't really understand them and, and know how they should be applied, apply them incorrectly, which is when people get into trouble. You know, Charlie, I'll just give you one quick example. Let's say a player has a very poor analytics grade on a given Sunday, but the three plays that he made on that Sunday were on the final two-minute drive that helped the team win the game. Well, now, you know, look at his grade, and his grade's like, oh, he didn't have a good game. Okay, but he made the three most important plays on the two-minute drive that won you the game. See, now it's funny. So now, are you happy with the player, or are you not? See, now it's funny you bring that up, because I don't consider, like, giving players grades analytics. I don't consider but, that analytics necessarily, especially the way NFL teams use them. That's the way it's presented but that goes to my original yes. point. People don't actually know no, what they are. But that's my point. <laughs> right. That's exactly Correct. my point. You're right, yes. Because people see that grade and they think it actually holds meat and beef, and it really doesn't. Right. Well, if you're talking <clears throat> about pro football focus grades specifically, that, that's just the player of a person literally watching the film and making a decision on whether or not they think that was a good play or a bad right. play. There's, there's nothing there's – not, that's not necessarily traditional analytics per se. Correct. Anyway, Charlie, go ahead. Yeah, just about the Super Bowl a little bit. I thought sure. the, the refereeing was not very good. Uh, if you remember in that last play, and there was another play, uh, Galap- what's his name, Galapolo? Garoppolo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he got hit in He's the head. He's only in the Super Bowl. Who needs to know? You mean the helmet-to-helmet he, hit? I saw it. Yeah, he got hit in the head. Wait, was he it the helmet-to-helmet? I saw the one where yeah, he got hit in the face with the hand falling there down. Was one of those two. One. Yeah, there was one of those was two. There was one of those two. And there was one before he got hit in the helmet from a helmet, and they didn't call it. That Neither one, one was called. Neither one was called. That's true. And the, and the last play would have given him uh, another 15 yards, and they would have still had some time to uh, go down and score. And that was the end of the game, basically. So the refereeing was terrible. But I also want to say about the game, it wasn't a great game, I don't think. You had two really good teams, but that's what happens when you get into a Super Bowl. Great teams don't play great because it is the biggest game of their lives. And you've got to remember the two quarterbacks only had about 35 starts together. They, didn't, they weren't like these seasoned veteran quarterbacks who go in there and play the game because you know, they played a lot like Eli. Etc. You know, they he, they only had a, like 35 starts between them. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, in in Shanahan. Remember with the Falcons, he was so aggressive he lost the game. So this time he tries to be less aggressive and he lost the game. Well, maybe next time you'll find the happy medium. Charlie, before and, you go, I just have one yeah. question for you. Sure. Giants or otherwise, is there ever anything that doesn't make you unhappy? 
Say that again. <laughs> Giants or otherwise, is there anything that does not make you unhappy? <laughs> well, he has a girlfriend. Life, life makes me very happy. It does. Very I'm glad. Well, I'm glad. Well, that's because of the stuff that he happens to ingest on a daily basis. Because <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, Charlie, I mean, really, for, uh, just from a, a football fan who really had no dog in the fight. Although, again, I was rooting for Spags and Sam Addison and David Merritt. The truth of the matter is, I just sat back and I watched it and said, "Hey, look at that play! Look at that yeah, play! I will look say at that this. play!" It was an entertaining game to me. There wasn't look, it, look. It's a close game that got decided in the final six minutes. That alone makes me happy. Okay, right? so I'll leave it there. But for the first three quarters, the game lacked like super exciting, dynamic plays to get pumped out about. There wasn't a lot of like game-changing plays, turnovers, interceptions, bombs, big plays. It was just kind of the teams going back and forth. It was a good game. I'm not complaining about it. But there weren't like a lot of like, oh, that was a great catch. Oh, look at the play that guy made. There wasn't a lot of that. Yeah. Charlie, think of it this way. There won't be any more NFL games until August preseason schedule starts. So you have a lot of time to either feel bad about football going away or you could watch the XFL. Hey, you remember when uh, you know the 49ers got the ball? You remember what the time was on the clock? Two minutes and 39 seconds, the same as Eli had in the first Super Bowl win. They couldn't do it. Eli could do it. And even Twice. he says that guy's not a Hall of Fame quarterback, they're crazy. Because in the biggest games, there's not too many quarterbacks who can step up. You're right, won. Charlie. Thank that, you, Charlie. That you're right about. Good stuff. Amen to that. Before we say goodbye, what do you think of the halftime show? I thought it was okay. Yeah, I thought it was fine, too. A lot of people make it a big deal about it one way or the other. Like, I don't know. It was, it was exi- Put it this way. That halftime show was exactly what I thought it was going to be. I would agree. It, it, it was like, all right, if you're going to bring in Jennifer Lopez and Shakira to, to a halftime show, that's what it was going to be. It was high energy, and it was quite a spectacle, and it was very well choreographed, and they put everything out there, literally. And I honestly... Well, not, not, not everything, well, thankfully. almost, almost. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, look, there will never be a better halftime show than Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. That well, That's, you know, that's not... For me, up for debate. And again, even if you don't like the music, the 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 spectacle of the Katy Perry halftime show, when she's that like was... riding like the fire breathing lion dragon looking thing, like that was cool. That was pretty wild. And I will tell you, I thought Bruno Mars did a very good job at the uh, Seattle Denver one here when they played at the Metal. Yeah, didn't Lady Gaga jump off the roof too on one of those? She did one of those too. Yeah, that was I mean, pretty cool. You know, there have been some good ones. I, I'm not disputing that, yeah, but you know. When when Bruce when Bruce and his guys rock it, I mean, um, um you know, that's you didn't it. like Michael Jackson coming out of the spaceship. Uh, what was that like ninety one ninety two, something Heck, like that? Uh, whatever. That's not my cup of tea. Wow, Paul not wanting to talk about early nineties football. That is maybe the biggest upset of all. No, and that's the, how we'll say goodbye. It's a halftime show. I'm not willing to talk. Paul about. is not about old school football anymore, folks. Remember that. <laughs> Big Blue Kickoff Let's Live go. is brought to you by Coors Light, Mountain Cold, Refreshment, Mate to Chill for Paul DeTito. I am John Schmelk. We thank our producer, Brandon. We'll see you tomorrow on Giants.com. Everybody have a good one.